Hailing Figures is open, and welcome to Star Trek Discoverage. It's the live podcast that boldly goes into excruciating detail about this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. I'm your host, Aaron Coker, a.k.a. Caliban, and it's clear to me that one knock-on effect of Hodgkin's law of planet- parallel planetary development is that every culture loves to quote Sun Tzu. Joining me on the show, as usual, is my co-host. She's also the co-host of the Generations Geek podcast, a more or less family-friendly celebration of geekdom. Uh, it's on the Chronic Rift Network. It's Ella Pearson. Ella, welcome back. Thank you. Good to have you here, Ella. Uh, boy, what are you going to do with all the free time uh, now that we won't be doing <laughs> Discovery every Thursday? Sleep. Sleep. Okay, I'll sleep. Got it. <laughs> that sounds like a good plan. Uh, and I wish you well uh, as you do it. Uh, thanks for joining me for this finale episode. Uh, also joining us on the show tonight, he's a man that needs no introduction, but I'll do what I can. He's the author of many Star Trek novels, including the TNG novels A Time to Love and A Time to Hate, as well as numerous other works of tie-in fiction and reference books. He's a former editor for DC and Marvel Comics and is a former editor for Starlog Magazine and the Weekly World News. It's Bob Greenberger. Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks. Pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for being here. I always ask new guests on the show how they first discovered Star Trek. How did you become a Star Trek fan? Oh, that goes all the way back to the first uh, original run of the show. I remember uh, I had gotten out of bed. I was really young. Uh, Maybe I was nine. And I went downstairs to the kitchen for a glass of water or something. And I looked into the uh, the dining, uh, the playroom, I should say. Uh And my father was watching this show and people were sparkling out of sight. And I said, what's that? (laughs) Um, And it wasn't until about a year later I finally got to uh, stay up and watch a, a full episode. And I was hooked. Sure. Uh, That's uh, something very exciting for a a nine-year-old, sparkling people. I definitely want to check that out myself. (laughs) I read that you were uh, initially attracted to the business of writing and editing due in part to your father's encouragement, but also you were inspired by Clark Kent? Yeah. um, I was uh, sick a lot as a a child, and when I was uh, laid up in bed with bronchitis, I was about six, mom brought me a Superman comic, and I, I fell in love with what I was reading and the next thing I know, I'm discovering the George Reeves reruns on WPIX in New York. Sure. And got hooked. And and Clark Kent's job at the Daily Planet, for whatever reason, fascinated me. Yeah. One of my five, um, I think one of my favorite characters, uh, comic book characters, is Lois Lane. Um, not exactly the, uh, ooh, I'm going to prove that Clark Kent is Superman, Lois, but, you know, the inflappable, intelligent, dedicated reporter, somebody who has unshakable integrity and she's Honestly, she's dating the biggest story in human history, and it's like no big deal to her, you know. And as in my own work as a journalist, she's been my touchstone. You know, no Neil, may she rest in peace, was lovely and charming, but I much preferred the Phyllis Coates, uh, Lois Lane in the first season. Oh, okay. She, she she was the tougher Lois that we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what comic characters and stories are far and away the ascendant intellectual property in movies and TV right now. And that rise was already beginning when you were working in the industry in the early aughts. What do you think of the widespread expansion of comics into other media? And do you have any particular favorites in the genre? Oh, wow. Good question. Um, I think it's great. You know, we've been watching it incrementally, but uh, when I got to Marvel in 2000, that's really when things uh, started to explode and I saw the potential. I mean, there was a lot of animated stuff going on on television, but once X-Men and Spider-Man came out, like you know, it seemed like the sky was going to be the limit, but it really took till Iron Man in 2008 yeah. to prove uh, it was sustainable. As far as personal favorites, I mean, you know, I love a lot of the Marvel stuff. 
Um, you know, just the world building Kevin Feige and, and the team of producers have been able to do has been just astonishing. Nothing like it before in movies. Probably nothing like will happen like it, you know, after this. Yeah, I mean, I I've been really impressed by it too, and I don't want to try to be a prophet of doom and gloom, but um, do you think that they can sustain the height that they've reached at this point? You know, after ten years, or do you think that it will? lesson but still be around as a genre like something like a western or, or a war movie you know i was just having this conversation earlier in the week uh you know the 1950s into the early 1960s movies and television were filled with westerns you couldn't get enough westerns yeah then the fad changed and it was you know the yeah. espionage james bond themed stuff in right. movies and television so they go through their cycles um the international market is so large now that I think the superhero cycle will sustain itself longer. It's always going to be with us, but right now it's driving all the revenue for, oh, yeah. for Hollywood and uh, merchandising and licensing. That's probably going to shift in the next few years. It just has to because these things, like I said, are cyclic. Uh, what's yeah. next? No one knows. Yeah. Uh, your reference book, Star Trek, The Complete Unauthor uh, excuse me, Unauthorized History, came out a couple of years ago. And in it, you present a look at the history of the franchise of Trek with an emphasis on the experiences of Trek fandom. And a lot of this happened, of course, you know, more than a few years ago. Are there any persistent myths that continue to get propagated uh, in, like, cast autobiographies or insider accounts, things that people seem to remember wrong? Um, some of the chronology people continue to get wrong. Um, Gene Roddenberry was so good at spinning the myths of NBC saying the show, the original cage <laughs> pilot was too intellectual and that's why NBC didn't like it right. or how he was constantly fighting the censors. And now that a lot of the documentation has come out in the Mark Cushman books and that, uh, and other resources and, uh, the, uh, Mark Altman, uh, oral histories, you know, we're getting a much more, uh, nuanced look at what really happened. Yeah. Uh, so I think some of those, you know, myths that were perpetuated for, you know, basically two decades are now finally starting to fade, but they're still out there. Yeah. Um, I was fascinated uh, the other couple of weeks ago. Uh, Larry Nemchek did a thing about how he finally discovered out who played ISIS in a sign. Oh, that Earth. was brilliant work on his part. Yeah, that was really neat. Uh, he finally put that to bed. Uh, real quick before we get into format, you just had a successful Kickstarter for a new project called Thrilling Adventure Yarns. Can you tell the listeners about it and where they can get it? Sure. Uh, this is part of Crazy A Press, which is a uh, digital press hub that. Uh, Michael Jan Friedman, Peter David, uh, Aaron Rosenberg, Paul Kupperberg, and, and others, and I um, put together. And uh, this is where we could publish what we want for the readers. And for this one, uh, it was an anthology celebrating the pulp magazines that gave us The Shadow and Doc Savage and so much that infused the comic books. Yeah. Uh, and I was offered an unpublished Lester Dent story. And Lester Dent is the man who uh, created Doc Savage. Mm. But I needed to pay the estate for the rights. And I figured if I'm doing this right, I need to pay a good cover artist. So I decided to kickstart it. And much to my surprise, I was 248% of goal. <laughs> well, that's a good surprise. <laughs> um, right. And just and just this morning, uh, we sent the author's galleys uh, to proofread. The book is being assembled now. It will debut at Shoreleaf. 
which is the uh, second weekend of July here in Maryland. Sure. Um, among the actors who are going to be there is this um, Anson Mountfellow. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, Ethan Peck. And just announced yesterday, Nichelle Nichols is making a stop there as part of her farewell tour. That's amazing. Well, definitely, listeners, be on the lookout for that. Thanks again, Bob, for joining us. Uh, let's take a quick dip into Trek news before we talk about tonight's episode. Uh, development on the still-untitled Jean-Luc Picard show continues apace, and three new cast members have been announced by CBS as joining the show. Uh, Allison Pill of The Newsroom previously, Harry Treadaway from Penny Dreadful, and Issa Briones from American Crime Story are all joining the show in as-yet-undisclosed roles. Uh, we've had a couple other cast annou- uh, announcements so far. What do you guys think about this? Uh, what do you want to see from a Picard series? Good question. Um, if we're picking up, you know, and real time has passed, um, you know, in the comics and some of the novels, I think they've speculated in the future Picard is an ambassador. Mm. And I could sort of see that with him, but he was also interested in archaeology interested in learning yeah uh i would definitely want to see him exploring strange new worlds in new ways yeah uh ella how about you i would be happy with anything from like his adventures at his own winery to like (laughs) him as an ambassador (laughs) all vineyard all the time that's what you want yeah (laughs) Uh, I think that uh, all those things that you guys mentioned are plausible, but we still don't know too much. And, of course, they're being secretive. Uh, The show is set at this point to premiere by the end of the year. And speaking of new Trek shows, Buzz continues to build concerning the possibility of a new series featuring Captain Pike and the USS Enterprise. Uh, As of this recording, 18,000 fans have signed a Change.org petition. Uh, Anson Mount was a guest at Philadelphia Comic-Con this last weekend, and he was asked about the potential for a Pike series at CBS All Access. He said he wasn't against the idea, but it would involve, in his words, creative conversations between him and CBS. Many fans think that a a Pike series is on the minds of Kurtzman and CBS due to the elaborate Enterprise bridge set constructed for the season two finale. But for me, that's like, that's just TV, man, right? Like, I mean, sure, they'd love to reuse that (laughs) set, but I don't think they did it just because they they really do want to do an Enterprise show. Uh, Ella, what do you think about the potential for a Pike series? We talked about it a little bit on the show before. Yeah, I mean, again, I just feel like, I mean, I would love it. I would watch it, obviously. But I just feel like it's too close, like, in time to the original series for them to actually pursue it. Yeah. It was a strange feeling tonight, um, just getting ahead of ourselves in this episode, uh, seeing the Enterprise fly off at the end of the episode and that pretty much being the end of the episode. And I was like, Oh, are we getting a look at what that might be in their minds? Um, I thought this show was named discovery, but uh, we'll talk about that a little later. Uh, Bob, what about you? Uh, Any interest in a Pike series? It would be interesting. Uh, I have to admit, I was a little surprised that it was taking place late enough in Pike's career. He had already been to tell us for, yeah. Um, but from that point, uh, you, there's a finite number of years uh, for Pike to be captain of the Enterprise because we know he hands it off to Jim Kirk. That's so, true. you know, I wouldn't mind a miniseries. I'm not sure you want something as as long as Discovery. Yeah, I think a miniseries could definitely work. Don't don't break those sets down just yet, CBS. Right. We'll see. 
Well, tonight we've seen the 14th episode of Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Such Sweet Sorrow Part 2, the season finale. We're here to break it down for you. And before we start, as always, we're setting a course for the Spoiler Zone listeners, so be warned. We're glad you've decided to join us, but if you haven't seen the episodes, spoilers are incoming. The official synopsis for Such Sweet Sorrow Part 2 is the USS Discovery battles against control in a fight not only for their lives, but for the future, with a little help from some unexpected friends. Spock and Burnham discern vital new connections between the Red Signals, while Burnham faces one of life's hardest truths. The right decisions are often the hardest to make. This episode, uh, like last week's episode, was written by Michelle Paradise, Jenny Lamette, and Alex Kurtzman, and also directed, like last week's episode, by uh, Ola Tunde Osunsanmi, who directed some previous episodes of the show, like The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry, and Point of Light, and also the short trek Calypso. And at this point, we usually try to scan for new theories <laughs> quick, but since we're on the last episode of this season... Uh, we'll be talking about the episode in general and about the season in general, uh, Star Trek Discovery Season 2. We can come to our final conclusions about Season 2 at the end of this show, but just to start out, how did everyone feel about Season 2 as a whole coming into the finale? Bob? So much stronger than the first season. Yeah. Uh, so Much more character-oriented. It was a lot more streamlined in its storytelling. Uh, I loved how they seeded everything and it paid off in the two-parter for, to wrap it up. Yeah, it was very satisfactory. Ella, what about you? Ella, still there? Um, Thinking. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm having a, a little bit of uh, Wi-Fi difficulties. So oh, if there's okay. any pauses, I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, no, I loved it. I felt like this episode, there was so much just like action packed into it. I feel like it was a little bit rushed, but I don't know really what they would have done if it was spread out a bit more. Yeah. Um, but I feel, I feel like I feel good as a whole, especially like I feel pretty good about it. I think I wrote in my notes. Uh, ah, so very much extra everything I wrote at some point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think well, they certainly saw to it that everybody got a moment. Oh yeah. Even oh yeah. They, they were definitely... just recording their farewells. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, I thought that was sweet. Yeah, I you know come. I mean, if if anybody listened last week, I had some sort of uh, I was I was trying to talk about some of my mixed feelings about um, season two in general. Um, not specifically for I enjoyed a lot of the character moments, but I felt like the meta plot um, was weak. I felt like they had not quite enough story for like an entire fourteen episode season. Um, and I don't know if that was because of the behind the scenes issues uh, or what, but I felt like the whole Red Angel meta plot was something that would have been a nice sort of runner going underneath everything while we're dealing with things um, weekly. But it sort of became you know, the entire show. And Ella, we finally know now <laughs> what what the signals are, <laughs> which we ask ourselves every week. So. For, what I want to know from you is, what are the signals? I feel like I still don't understand. And then we've got <laughs> literally, what are they? We've got five of them, and then we've got two more, and the two more are what, like navigational signals? Yeah, I mean, they're just they're very uh, bright lights set off by. <laughs> Okay. All right. All right. If it's good enough for me, uh, if it's good enough for you. Um, what did you think, Ella, about the the overarching plot uh, of this season, the idea of the Red Angel 
uh, having this mystery and the uh, signals connected to to them now that we've seen the shape of the entire thing how do you think they pulled it off um i mean i'm i'm glad that it was that it was wrapped up in a nice neat little bow for us yeah um I'm a little like just because we spent so much of the season just like really painstakingly tr- like following the signals and trying to figure out what they were yeah. and then having it all happen like realize what realize but like have it confirmed what they actually were within like 30 seconds it was just like it was a little fast yeah. um but like it all made sense like I'm happy with what they were. Like, I don't feel, <laughs> I'm not upset about it. So I'm, I'm satisfied. <laughs> yeah. Um, Bob, what about you? What'd you think about the overarching plot what, about the red angel? I thought it was really interesting. I, I thought it was great. Uh, when we reached what, about the two thirds point of the season, when we realized the red angel was mom. <laughs> yeah. And right. uh, it, it filled in some of Burnham's backstory and added some poignancy. Um, but you had the Red Angel story, then you had the Section 31 story, mm-hmm. and I don't think that worked as well as it could have. I, I think it got layered in late and then rushed. Yeah. Um, but overall, I mean, you know, like I said, the season this time around works much better than the first season. Uh, they got the kinks out. Um, the I think last first season, they juggled too many storylines that, that just took the focus off the ship this time they kept it on the ship and had the stories run through it which was i think made for better storytelling yeah and i think that um the red angel thing uh is is kind of a it's a weird sort of thing uh a weird kind of story for trek but that's the kind of story i think that i would want to see from a new uh modern era trek show having something having an exploration of section 31 or introducing them like i don't think that there's anything wrong with that i think that that's probably a good idea i think that the section 31 show will probably be pretty great but i agree that it seemed like a little extra much and then and somehow trying to uh include the development like the birth of ai or at least this very dangerous ai that they're trying to deal with i'm trying i'm still trying to figure out like what was the weird metal octopus that was coming from the future or something like that and grabbed on the shuttlecraft at one point um we get these glimpses of what looks like the real foe here in the future or at some point in the future in an alternate timeline, these metal ships and stuff. So I have to wonder, you know, as we pick up with season three and we can talk about our speculations about season three um, a little later in the episode, but like what is, what kind of world is discovery flying into here? That's a good question. Um, We'll, you know, if you want to speculate later, let's do that. But sure. there were definitely things that didn't pay off, things like those metal octopus arms. Um, if the in if the data in Discovery has melded with the ship and was able to raise its shields to prevent the self-destruct, then you I that should have played out differently, defending itself, coming up with maneuvers that controls ships couldn't anticipate. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was AI versus AI. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. but instead we had this big special effects battle that just went on endlessly. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> it was very star Wars ish. Um, but I, I do like the idea of 
let's just discovery is really good at defending itself let's just let it do its own thing like you you go ahead discovery we'll just be on enterprise ally notice something else i think last week we theorized that it was going to be just a skeleton crew of people that was going to be on discovery Remember, like, if there's that scene where, yeah. where he's like, happy birthday, Michael. Here's your friends. And, we're and there's, like, down. seven people. Yeah. yeah. Right. But then we get to Discovery <laughs> this week, and it's, like, fully staffed. And there's got to be people. Yeah, that didn't make sense either. Yeah, there's got to be people yeah, like that doctor character. Yeah, like, full. Yeah, like, who are like, oh, she's not my friend. I don't care what happens to her. <laughs> oh, sure, sir. Yes, we'll, we'll do our jobs. Yes, yes. Um, I always get stuck on – Trek doesn't often do this sort of thing. If they have a, a long, arching plot, it, it usually takes place way in the background, something like the Dominion War or what have you. And it's always tough uh, – You know, it's sort of the lost syndrome, I think, is uh, what I'm going to call it. I don't know if the other people call it that, that you get in TV where your fans – you want smart fans. You've made a show for smart people, so smart people are going to figure it out. And when you hear people saying you know, two or three weeks in, well, Michael Burnham is the Red Angel – um, you expect there to be a few red herrings, if you'll forgive the phrase, here and there. But it, when it turns out to be that, you're kind of like, okay, yeah, well, I guess that's what it was. And I think that you can keep up these secrets, you can keep up a facade like this for maybe a one episode or a two-parter, but expecting it to remain a surprise over 14 episodes, I think that's unrealistic. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I'm not sure they wanted that to be the big surprise. I think... You know, the end of um, uh, the Star Trek motion picture, it said the human adventure is beginning or is continuing. And there's a lot of that here. Spock was on his journey. Michael Mm -hmm. was on her journey. Uh, The other, you know, to a lesser degree, a lot of the other characters were on their journeys. And that was fine uh, because they did take characters in new places. We got to know the crew better. Um, so I was okay with that. Yeah. I, you know, it didn't have to be that much about Michael and the Red Angel. It just was setting everything up. So in tonight's episode, it paid off very nicely because she realized all of a sudden, thanks to her brother, she has to go back in time and actually do what what's expected of her. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ella, what, what do you think about uh, the reveal of the Red Angel um, ultimately being Michael? I mean, I feel like it like it had to be her. Like we knew from the DNA thing that it had to be her. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like <laughs> um like just like Twitter is kind of like a like a minefield for <laughs> TV. You know? Yeah. Like I feel like people especially like TV shows like Star Trek where it's like everyone's gonna be theorizing twenty four seven all the time from the second you post that episode. It's like <laughs> right. Right. TV right. writers and producers like we haven't really figured out how to like navigate that yet or like whether or not it's like okay for everyone to just figure out your like (laughs) your like finale twist at the right at the beginning but um yeah it's a different age yeah if they released uh if it wasn't 1979 if they released a motion picture now like two minutes in somebody'd be like it's it's voyager it's voyager yeah <laughs> what an asshole. Uh let's check in with uh, some of the characters on the show because um one thing that I did like about this year is that they did focus in on some more of the characters. First of all, oh no, oh whoa. <laughs> she got shot when when Owosukun got shot uh in this episode. I had flashbacks to the previous episode and I thought, oh, are they going to kill a bridge officer here?" But I think she just got shot in the arm, so she's okay. Right. Yeah, uh, she didn't she didn't slide. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Admiral Cornwall, uh, a.k.a. Admiral Bad Decisions, as a friend of mine calls her, uh, makes one last bad decision this week, or maybe it was the only decision that she could have made. And she, of course, uh, blows up with the torpedo that's stuck in the hull. And I thought that it was interesting. I heard, once again, bringing up Twitter, I heard uh, users on Twitter speculating about how if, and I don't think it works this way, but if Pike knows that he's destined to uh, be you know, wounded in this uh, Delta Ray accident or whatever, uh, doesn't he have quantum immortality? Like, shouldn't he just do whatever uh, in expecting to not die until it's time to die or, or to be um, maimed? And I like the fact that they actually kind of address that in this. Like, he's down there and he's like, well, if I hang around, this thing can't blow up because I don't die here. Um, but I'm not sure that the show really solved that problem other than just her going, yeah, but you know you can't stay here, though. Like, you are the captain. You have to go back up to the bridge. And so I'll be the one to stay here, I guess. I I actually had a problem with that because it was telegraphed and we knew she was going to die. Yeah. I figured there would be some maimings and deaths and characters written off and stuff. But um, that was a little ham-handed. Yeah, I yeah I don't disagree. I always love that it's like we've got a one way manual lever, and it's like, well, can't just a door on the other side of the bulkhead also reach that lever or a similar one? Uh, are you going to miss uh, Admiral Cornwall, Ella? Um, a little. I love a I love a strong female character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like she doesn't she doesn't take any crap from anyone. Um, but uh, I'm not. I don't know. I was I wasn't super upset about her death. I mean, obviously, like, yeah. Why isn't the why isn't there just like another lever on the other side of the wall? But um, I don't know. You know, I thought <laughs> I thought it was sweet, and like, I love a um, like when the highest ranking officer is like, "Well, that's my job Has to, to like, go down with the, be the one that the goes torpedo, down." Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I like the fact that he can watch her explode. I was like, they should make the whole ship out of that glass. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good glass. Uh, yeah, that was too bad. I'm going to miss her too. I think that also she's just a victim of. It's a good problem to have, but we have so many good characters now that even including yeah. her, like bringing her along, seemed like she's probably going to die, you know, like she just didn't have anything to really do in these last couple episodes. So, yeah, it was, it was interesting seeing her aboard the enterprise do nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially as the uh, flag officer uh, in charge. But uh, what else? Uh, what about uh, Culber and Stamets? Um, their fates, ultimate fates are Ooh. of course left a li- little bit up in the air, but it looks like we were getting a reversal of the somewhat final uh, conversation between them last week. It looks like Culber has changed his mind, I'm guessing. Or do you think he was just saying that to help uh, Stamets pull through? And then he's going to turn around as soon as he's better and be like, no, no, I, I really want to break up. He's on the discovery after saying he was going to the Enterprise. And to me, I thought he did change his mind and come home. Yeah. Ella, what do you think? Yeah, me too. Me okay. too. I think um, So what was there, the point of the conversation think... last week then? <laughs> They're just, just had to stretch it out. Fight. <laughs> I guess people fight. People fight all the time. What what you guys think about? Also, oh, go by ahead, the way, is it me or did it take an awfully long time for Stamets to go from being injured to arriving in sickbay? Yes. yes. Forever. Yeah. Ages. Yeah, the turbo lift was out and they had to like hand him over hand by hand down a <laughs> ladder or Jeffrey's tube or something, I guess. Uh, but yeah. then Tilly had to leave within 30 seconds. She had to, right, then immediately she had to whip right back dip. around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, okay. So this brings <laughs> up my pet peeve over the two episodes. Sure. Which is there was a lot of 
oh my God, we have no time, but let's stop and have long, heartfelt speeches with one another. Yes. Oh my God. I mean, you know, the end of last episode was a great moment, but they had a ticking clock, so no one was acting like there was a ticking clock. Spock and Burnham's farewell looked endless while, you know, we got 35 seconds left or whatever. Yeah. Um, I also don't understand why... If they had 57 minutes before the Enterprise arrived and 10 more minutes before Control arrived, that they waited till the last three minutes to actually fabricate and build the suit. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> they did end up doing – they have great 3D printers. They ended up doing it fairly fast. But, yeah, they're at the way they're I pulling mean, it, it together. It added some nice momentum to it, but it didn't make any logical sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this show definitely loves to take a break and do a good monologue or a good dialogue scene and just sort of marinate in it, uh, which I can appreciate. But, you know, pick your pick your times. W- what happened to Poe? I lost track of Poe in the swirling melee. Um, did she is she stuck in the uh, present still or did she go forward into the future? We I saw her in the present, in the present um, pretty much just before the, the lengthy Spock Burnham stuff. Um, so she survived uh-huh. and I'm glad because she brought some real life to every scene she was in. Yeah. Okay, good. So she can see, well, maybe look forward to seeing her again. Uh, how about Spock? Um, we had talked, I think last week, Ella, about the, did you get to see the Spock uh, picture that I told you about? Yeah. Yes. Well, it looks like that was not a fake <laughs> Senator Vreenak. That was the real thing. Uh, what do you think about Spock's look? Oh man, I um I just love him. I really I'm like <laughs> I'm not proud of like the sounds that came out of me both when Spock and Burnham were saying goodbye and when he finally came on the bridge like in his uniform. I was like, "Oh, oh my god." <laughs> um uh, I'm just yeah, I'm very, very grateful for that last like scene where we saw him sort of like closer to as he is in the original series yeah it was a really neat moment yes although as he steps on the bridge and we see him beardless there's an echo of shatner in the back of my mind going where's your beard (laughs) (laughs) oh it's not regulation he's got to get rid of that although i still don't know (laughs) they 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 shave those points into his cheek hair right like it doesn't really grow like that (laughs) It's like a beard version of the the Star Trek sideburns, but I love it, and I wish I could do it myself. Um, We're going to have to ask him about that at Shirley, because I don't know how he pulled that off. Please do. (laughs) He got strange looks when he was at the grocery store. Um, There were some uh, interesting directing choices in tonight's episode. Um, What was up with the Power Rangers split screen thing that happened at one point? I, I don't know. I kept expecting Alice the housekeeper to show up next. Yeah, right. Um, exactly. It's like it, like in an old sitcom when two people are talking on the phone and you see uh, you know people on either side of the screen. And I was wondering, is that the first use of split screen in a in a Trek series? I was trying to think of other examples, but I I couldn't think of anything. Me either. Ella, yeah, I don't know. They didn't do anything crazy know. on on Enterprise or anything. <laughs> it's possible, but we don't know for sure. Um, there's something else that I wanted to pick at a little bit, and I don't know if this falls to writing or directing, but one of the cool things about the Trek universe or any shared universe is that 
it's really ever evergreen in what it can provide you. You know, and you'd think that, say, I don't know, Thor has been around since 1962, so every Thor story has been told. But if you give a good writer the toys of that universe, you know, you get Thor as a frog now, or Jane Foster's Thor, or Thor travels in time and fights along his side his older and younger selves. But when you're not drawing on the world that's been built, you get a lot of set pieces that feel copped from other stuff. And I saw a lot of things in this episode tonight that reminded me of a lot of other things like the swarm of drone ships is just right out of star trek beyond mm-hmm. um, yes which uh kurtzman didn't write that one <laughs> and and burnham like i mean i think at this point it's been 10 years iron man and the idea of an iron man suit has like really suffused our entire culture but like her face is even framed and lit like tony stark's like in the, in yeah. the thing they were clearly <laughs> trying to call out something there and, uh, oh, you know, Alan Gratz would want me to point out that Kurtzman loves having characters fly out of ships, like, into space. They do it in oh. uh, Trek 2009 and Into Darkness. There's always somebody, like, hurling in a spacesuit, you know, somewhere else. Oh, my God. The, <laughs> the jumps in 2009. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, when they jump that. to the, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. This, and, of course, this episode also has an unexploded tor- torpedo, which reminds me of um, Starship Down from DS9. At one point, and we've never seen this before, there's outer hull repair droids. They're like R2 units that come out and start fixing things. Was I, I was thinking of Wally, but you're you. right. Or Wally. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Wally. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. We, I mean, we've never seen something like that before. I mean, I've seen it in Star Wars. And of course, you've got the Inception hallway scene, which it's cool, but it wasn't that long ago. Like, I kind of know what that's from. It's funny. <laughs> I turned to my wife and I said, uh, this just to give the stunt actors something to do. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it looked great and it came off well. And I like the fact that they're really playing with things. But I wish that they would just go like the extra mile and try to find some way. Because they never talk about gravity on Starfleet ships. It's They're always just walking around Earth normal gravity. And so if you're going to play with it, it's like, that's a good start. But like, what else can you do? Giorgio even pulls the metal out of Leland like Magneto does to Wolverine at the end of the episode. Which... <laughs> Which I have a lot of questions about. So uh, here's what I want to know. Leland's on board. He's looking for the data. They're trying to fly to the future. So we've got to deal with this because there's no point in bringing Leland with you (laughs) with the data to the future. So at one point, she sucks all the metal out of him and says he's neutralized. So is he like dead dead or is the body dead but the little cyber bots are still doing something? Is this going to be a complication in season three, because you've still got what is essentially control on board the ship with the data that it wants. Do you think that this will be something they'll have to deal with in season three? Or are we all done with that? It's left dangling, and I hope they don't go back there because that's just beating a dead horse or a dead <laughs> nanite. Yeah, we're done with it. <laughs> Ella, what do you think? I mean, all she really did was like, suck the nanobots out of him so i feel i mean like in theory i feel like they could sort of like reanimate leland but yeah i mean same like i hope that they don't (laughs) go that way yeah after they come out of um boy i can't remember that character's name but they brought him back and it wasn't the real him and then the nanobots started going after burnham and she did just like vaporize them at some point right I think so. Yes, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that probably won't be a problem. A a lot of this stuff isn't going to be a problem going forward, it looks like. A lot of people have... The problem with Discovery being a prequel series is that people feel strongly about having or not having 
years of of the show canon the universe that have already been touched upon and people have different opinions about that but this episode or excuse me well this episode but also this season and especially the end of it seems to fall on we want to wrap everything up and we want to do it uh very very tidily um we have that scene at the end where tyler pike spock and number one whose name i guess is just number one uh are talking <laughs> to uh, admiral mouth i don't know what else to call him he's just got a mouth all right <laughs> And he's from the continuity department, I guess, because he's basically like, okay, nobody leaves the room until we fixed all the canon issues. So what do we got? We got no more AI, uh, no more time travel. Uh, Tyler, you're a sleeper agent. You want command of a black ops division? Got that. Great. And then going forward, I guess, and maybe I got this wrong, but there's some kind of, kind of gag order on Disco. Like, Sarek and Amanda like can't talk yeah. about their daughter. And Yeah, yeah Spock brings up that, that obscure... Starfleet regulation right. about tampering <laughs> with history, line. even though they've never been back in time before. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. I just think it was so weird that they have to, like, deny her forever. I mean, she is anybody going to forget the name Michael Burnham? She's the flipping mutineer. They gave her a medal last year, you know. Uh, the fact that they could just, like, edit her out of history, I think, is strange. I also thought it was strange. I guess young Spock can lie. <laughs> under order. Under order. He's under orders to lie. Okay, I suppose yeah. yes. Yes, he lies in um, the Enterprise incident oh. and other episodes. Exactly. I was just thinking of that one. Yeah. Yeah. So I just think it's it's strange because it seemed very important to them to make sure that nobody felt nobody's feathers were ruffled with the canon issues. And my opinion on it is, why why does it matter? You know, canon can be a prison. You know, if you let it be. Um, I. I guess we're setting up the Section 31 show going forward, so we get that out of the Tyler thing. But do you guys think that, you know, we've, they've already said that uh, Pike, uh, or Anson Mount as Pike, won't be returning in the next season. But do you think that Discovery will remain a presence in the world of the show Discovery? Yeah. Or are they all right? on their own now? Like, even if they get back from the future, they're the ship that is not to be named. That's a season three story to tell. <laughs> do you think that they can I mean knowing having seen the first two seasons do you think that they can um, stretch this out for a while um, spend a lot of time in the future uh, bring them back to the present but also find stories to tell that are um, taking place outside of their service in Starfleet I'm hoping they learn their lesson from Voyager Oh, okay. where Voyager <laughs> which, which lesson which one <laughs> where the status quo was constantly being reset yeah. on the on their lengthy journey home. Yeah. Whereas this time that ship has been beaten badly. Oh yeah, yeah. They're yeah. sent to a future, and we think we know where we're going, but we don't know where they're getting until the third season. So they need repairs, resupply. Yeah. Um, is the future they're going to going to be greet them welcomely? What what are the galactic politics of where they are? Uh, are they such an uh, anachronism? They don't have parts that work. Right. Are they a jalopy? Uh, and yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of course. And I'm sure they're figuring that out now. Yeah, I'm sure they are. And I'm sure a lot of it is going to be based around the little glimpses that we got in Calypso. Um, at some point, Discovery gets fixed up because it didn't look too beat up in that episode, assuming that's a, a timeline that uh, persists. Uh, Ella, um, I don't have a question for you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, your general thoughts, I guess, about the season three, like what you'd like to see, where you think that we're going to go. 
Um, I really hope that they stay in the future. I want to see some stuff that isn't sort of like bound by the immediacy of the original series having to happen, yeah. you know, within just a few years. Um, it's so and I would like go- them. It's so interesting that they go from a series and a season that is so tied to and, and sort of walking through this minefield of continuity, and then they shoot ahead a thousand years, and it's like, virgins, no, we can just do whatever we want. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would really like them to be able to, like, come into their own as a series and use the, like, the time jump as a way to sort of, like, become their own thing instead of just being this, like, like, I don't want them to stay the series that's, like, the kind of prequel to the original series. Like, I want them to be their own thing. Yeah, I think that would be great. Uh, as we begin to wrap it up here, uh, any uh, anything you guys wanted to mention that you really enjoyed uh, that you haven't got to talk about yet, I'll just put mine in real quick. Uh, the wormhole effect was very neat, um, and it was, for all the things I was complaining about them biting before, like I thought it was totally original and just looked very cool. It actually looked like a better version of the wormhole we saw in the motion picture, so I thought that well, was a nice callback. Sure, yeah. Ella, anything uh, that stood out for you? Um, I just loved Spock and Burnham's goodbye, mm. obviously. I mean, mm. but um, I don't know, especially after like their relationship has been so rocky um, and we've seen them sort of like work through that and then to, for them to have that sort of like sweet goodbye and then we know like, what Spock goes on to do. I was just, I was uh, living for it, but we know that I, <laughs> I love Spock. <laughs> <laughs> we know that. Yes. Uh, I really liked the, I really liked the uh, shuttle cluster, like the shuttle escort that like uh, was swarmed around Burnham as she was going. That was just a great idea. It was an amazing effect. I don't know if those shuttles being piloted by individual pilots. They're all very good pilots if they can just stay uh, that close to her. But like, that was just, that looked amazing. Whenever they have these huge battles, I always wonder, just in a, in a normal, conventional, like, Earth-based gunfight, you have to worry about stray shots. You don't want to just be firing off randomly because bullets can go anywhere. When they have these huge Death Blossom laser explosion melees, do those beams just keep flying out forever? <laughs> like, is some guy working on a satellite in Andoria and suddenly he gets vaporized from this bolt that's been traveling for 50 years? I think science says no. Okay. okay it's like good. a beam of light. It sooner or later disperses to the point of, of, of vanishing. Gives a, Okay. All right. So it gives them a, a suntan or something like that. Warms them up a little bit. Okay, good. <laughs> That's good news for the rest of the galaxy. Uh, I think that is pretty much it. And I suppose um, we've already uh, talked a little bit about uh, what we think is coming up in season three. But um, did anybody have anything that they wanted to speculate on possibly happening in season three? How do you think that season three will tie into the other shows that have been announced? Um, Do you think they'll have any connection to the Picard show, which is also in the future? Ella, we've been talking about wanting to see the future of the future. Looks like we're going to on Discovery, um, the far future of the future. Or the Section 31 show or anything else that is in the pipeline? I mean, I I hope they stay pretty separate. I mean, it's I love having a like a reference here and there, but mm-hmm. I feel like it needs to be very gentle because some of the stuff um in disco, even with like 
even having Slack, even having Pike, even having the Enterprise, some of it has felt like a little heavy handed. Like at the like at the end of this episode, they were like, "Okay, you can never talk about Discovery again under penalty <laughs> of treason," and that's yeah, why Slack yeah. never said he had a sister. It's like we didn't really mean that, and so I would like it like to stay you know, as separate as sort of the other Star Trek shows have from each other. So like semi-separate, you know, I don't know. <laughs> sure, sure. Bob, anything else that you would like to see from a season three? Well, other than Saru's people, we really haven't done a lot of first contacts. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that we've had a good look at the Klingons, we spend a little more time on Vulcan. Uh, since we're in the future and who knows where we are, I wouldn't mind meeting some new folk. Yeah, I would absolutely love that too. And specifically, uh, looking back at the Kelpians, you know, we see that they are apparently, uh, in charge of Baul technology when they do their, uh, riders of Rohan impression and come in at the end of the battle. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I would definitely like to go back to their planet and learn more about them and also meet, uh, new races. I never found out the name of the, I don't know what to call her. It's like, you know what Klingons have on their head? She's got it on her face. You know, the red oh, yeah. lady with all the, yeah, I want to know more. One on it, right. Yeah. And I think fly guy got shot. I saw him in, in sick bay and he was moaning. So hopefully uh fly us, Os- or, or whatever he is, will uh, be back <laughs> again. Learn more about him. Well, I think, uh, I think we did a pretty good job. Uh, we don't have any word yet uh, on when the third season of Discovery will premiere, but they're pretty good at making these things at this point. I think it's well within the realm of possibility that it could return as soon as the fall. However, with the Picard show tentatively slated to premiere in the late fall, we could now run into the situation where CBS may choose to stagger their new shows to avoid viewer fatigue or confusion. So at this point, it's anybody's guess, but we will be looking forward to it when it comes, and we'll be here to cover it, of course. And that's it for our show this season. Thanks for joining us, listeners. If you like what you hear, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at E-I-S-T-P-O-D for updates and to get notified when new episodes are released. And on Facebook, we've got a discussion group called Enterprising Interlocutions, where we go into the deeper kinds of discussion and speculation that you've heard tonight. Uh, you can also find us on the Twitter, as I believe I said before. We've got a show, or show, excuse me, we've got a store on TeePublic. Uh, go check that out as well. We're going on hiatus for a while. But Discoverage will return this summer with a panel show summarizing our thoughts on Discovery's second season, just like we did the season one. You can find that show in our show archives. And I'm really looking forward to that. Last year's was really fun. In the meantime, you can check out our main show at Enterprising Individuals at EnterprisingIndividuals.com. Every Wednesday, I and a guest will discuss in excruciating detail a selected episode from a Star Trek series. We also have news from the Trek Sphere, updates on Star Trek Discovery, and interviews with special guests. On this week's episode, I'm joined by writer and comedian Asterios Kokonos, and we're discussing the Voyager episode Virtuoso. That's the one where the Doctor becomes an opera star. It's a very fun episode, and we had fun and a funny discussion about it. You can find more conversations like that. You can find off-topic rants, DS9, and Voyager episode recaps, and more at our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. Bob, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Where can people find you online? Uh, Facebook and, and uh, Twitter and uh, Goodreads, all Bob Greenberger, so Bob I'm Greenberg. pretty accessible. Okay. Any, uh, any projects or appearances coming up you want to tell the listeners about? Oh, thanks. Um, at the end of this month, I will be in Camden, New Jersey at the Camden Comic Con. And oh, next, after that, will be July at Shoreleave in Maryland. Sure. Um, uh, I've got the 
Super Villains, 100 Greatest Moments book coming out uh, about the DC uh, bad guys. That'll be out May 14th. So uh, that's my next project. And where can people find that? Can they get that on Amazon and where books are sold? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's up at Amazon now, uh, you know, for order. Same sure. Barnes & Noble. It'll be in bookstores May 14th. And I just got a copy the other day, and it looks pretty cool. Good. <laughs> Keep an eye out for that, listeners. Ella, thank you, as always. Where can people find Generations Geek online? At Generations Geek on Twitter and Instagram. And we just had a lovely interview with Jane Fenn, author of the Shadowlands duology, as well as I think it's the... Hidden Empire series. Um, Jane, if that's wrong, I'm so sorry. It's 4 a.m. Um, <laughs> so that'll be out soon. Okay. All right. Well, people keep an eye out for that. And that is it for us for this season. Thanks for listening, everybody. It really has been a blast. We are signing off. This is Aaron for Bob and Ella saying live long and prosper. Bye.